Hi folks, welcome to Two Feet Apart. This is an intersectionally inclusive space where community meets storytelling. It's a space that is nurtured by vulnerability and the sharing of our stories because they are our greatest strengths and our strongest powers. With that in mind, happy listening. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Two Feet Apart with me, your host, P.G. Patra. Today we have on a very good friend of mine, a creator of 15 years. She's an incredible mom of four. Um, I'm sure you know her, but if not, you will want to after this. Uh, Welcome, Sarah. Hey, thank you. I'm so excited we're doing this. I'm just like, I don't know. You're somebody that we have like some of the best like life chats. So it's kind of cool that we're getting a chance to like record it. Right? I'm like, this one will be documented for the books, and I'll probably re-listen to it 80 times <laughs> over, as I do with half the episodes. Um, so some people might know you as the Birds of Papaya, but why don't we start by you taking a few minutes to just tell us about yourself? Yeah, so like you said, I'm a mom of four. I got married at a very young age. So I, out of high school, had a boyfriend, and we got engaged when I was 18, married when I was 19. I was pregnant by the time I was 20. Fast track to 25, and I'm a stay-at-home mom of three kids living in a different city. And when I actually only had two kids and had first moved to Ottawa, I remember just being so far away from community, and Facebook was a thing, and I used to just, like, sit and refresh it. Like, is anybody saying anything? Is anything going on? I just, it was itching for any sort of adult interaction whatsoever. We were single income family. So when I was staying at home, we also only had one vehicle. So I had basically going to the park and coming back home. And during that times, I would just sit and twiddle my thumbs, I felt. So I remember the day I found blogs and it was like my whole world cracked open and I got to see other people sharing their lives and their stories and their homes and their front porches. Front porches were everything at the time. The way that your your front porch was decorated was who you were. So I remember just picking up thrifting and, you know, I think I first started, I called myself like the frugal mama and it was all about, you know, really trying to find those like accessible ways to decorate your home and keep up with the Joneses, I guess. And I ended up calling the blog The Birth Papaya because it I was a stay-at-home mom with these two little girls, and their nicknames were um, Gemma Birdie and Maya Papaya. So I started, I Googled how to code my own blog. I had this really, like, chopped-together piece of thing, and every blogger at the time had a little shop as well. So I had an Etsy shop where I made... Um, hypoallergenic jewelry because my oldest Maya was very allergic to jewelry and couldn't wear a lot of a lot of stuff. So I started doing that, and then I had my son, and I just co- sort of kept with it. It was like my favorite thing. There would be like these opportunities where like a big blog might feature something that you had made, and I would do things with dollar store crafts, and it was just a very for me a very exciting creative time, and I felt. Like, I wasn't so alone anymore. I wasn't, you know, only, it wasn't just me and these four walls and these two children or three kids. And and so I really just fell in love with the idea of sharing life and writing about it. And then, you know, that turned into Instagram. And it started for me as, like, sharing my jewelry, my Etsy shop, how to sort of, um, you know, promote yourself And at the same time that Instagram was starting, it was also the realm of the way that social media was happening was changing too, because it no longer was about 
your front porches and the dinners you were making. It was, what are you eating right now? And what does your body look like? What are you wearing? Mm-hmm. It, the the camera sort of turned on to us and combined that with, you know, I've been a stay-at-home mom. Now we are, I've had these three kids. I'm, you know, somewhat newly, maybe a couple of years postpartum. And we moved back home to my hometown where I run into people from high school, where I, you know, there was, I just remember feeling so embarrassed. I didn't want to really leave the house. And I felt we had a pool at that house, like an above ground pool. And I was so nervous to like get in the pool with my kids because I was worried about the neighbor seeing my body. And I thought, you know, I can't live like this. I want to show up for my kids. I want to show up for myself. And so I pursued weight loss and while at the same time continuing to share on social media, which quickly became my social media, these before and afters, this 100 pound weight loss story. And it was such a topical story that people were so happy for me for without realizing that I was going through a lot when it came to my identity. I was going through a lot when it came to my marriage. Uh, A lot of the motivators for me doing any of this was just feeling alone, isolated, embarrassed, wanting to show up for my kids. And as time went on and the more weight I lost the less I wanted to show up because I was getting more and more anxious about what I looked like. Social media, it was the norm to edit what you looked like. I was a part of that. And it took me a really long time to stop. It took me a really long time to get out of this cycle of shame. And so to sort of fast forward a little bit is essentially over time and through healing and after divorce and all of this stuff, I really woke up to, and because my health was genuinely declining, I had to do a complete 360, 180, 360. I don't know. I said the wrong thing the other day and now it's like in my head. I had to completely turn away or turn around the way that I did social media because I recognized that I was putting out something that ultimately landed me in a lot of anxiety around my body, in body editing. It, it landed me in a lot of shame, even though it was like I thought was a really healthy, good thing that I was doing. It was so disordered along the way, and I and I wanted to, and by the guidance of my therapist, had to change the way that I was creating, showing up on social media, and I wanted to be more honest about it all. I wanted to talk about the things that were triggering my shame and that ultimately, strangely enough, as like, I, I say it, but I still, I just remember myself back then, and I remember how much I was so ashamed of who I was that it will never not shock me that when I finally was just like at my rock bottom and decided to show up as who I was or as I was becoming, you know, a a new version of myself and a healthier in all aspects version of myself and, and more authentic, that that ultimately would be where I found the most success. That will never leave my soul, (laughs) that I tried to fake being this perfect mom and this perfect wife and this perfect body. And when I finally gave up, got divorced, moved in with my parents, started talking about stretch marks and cellulite and weight gain, that that would ultimately be where I found myself and my voice. And that has really um, changed the way that the bird's papaya is and has grown over the years, which is full of faults and full of imperfections, but ultimately showing up through a lot of change, a lot of change. That used to be my tagline, like a life and love or a journal of life and love through Through change. Yeah. 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 Amazing. 
Um, and obviously there's so, so much to unpack there. But one of the things was, you know, you started in this space doing these crafts, kind of being hands on, mm -hmm. doing all of this kind of stuff. And your content has shifted a lot over the years and mm -hmm. evolved with you. Would you mm -hmm. say that you still have the ability to be as creative um, through your work? Yeah, it's just very different. And I think that it a lot of times I think the, what I was doing before was really just trying to get the attention off of me, was really trying to showcase my kids or my house or things that I could see validation coming in for because I was so used to not being somebody who anybody would care to know what I dressed like or what my skincare was like or how do you do your hair? I was the lowest priority in my entire world. So while the whole weight loss story was essentially in bad for me, it also had these like hints of good stuff where I finally paid attention to who I was, even if I was disordered about it. At least I figured out ways to like carve 20 minutes for myself a day. At least I actually thought about what I wanted to have for dinner that night. At least I actually, you know, started to care about drying my hair in the morning or, you know, wanting to put on an outfit that made me feel good. And it wasn't just about hiding and, you know, putting myself in the corner of life all the time. It wasn't about everybody else but me. You know, there's the saying about the uh, a good mom gets takes the burnt toast and like, screw that. The the good mom can figure out how to do portions so that she also gets a good piece of toast. Like I really had to change the lens, but I, I think the creativity part is just different because I have really over the years never planned a thing. I still don't know what I'll post tomorrow. I have no idea what I'll post in a year from now. I have no idea what it'll be about because it's still very journalistic to where I'm at, where I'm creatively at. I mean, last week I made a video of myself like making earrings for my daughter. That's like the first time in over a decade that I've sat down and made earrings, but it was still there. It's still in me. And I think just finding different ways to be creative, whether it's through written word, whether it's photography, whether it's, you know, creating something that will connect with people, all of those things are no different than the crafts of two pieces of glass and a piece of, and some glue together that made, you know, these vases that I used to make. So... When I look back on, you know, old episodes of the podcast and I'm sharing my story and I'm very much in it, they feel very raw to me. And so when I read, mm -hmm. I can't even re-listen to the episodes anymore. And I feel like half the time I'm like, oh, I want to delete that. And every so often someone will be like, oh, I listened to that episode and it really helped me. Do you feel similar about some of your content that's kind of older while you're kind of going through those things that you look back on now? I think it's important that you cringe at who you were. I think it I think it is because I think it really is indicative of of that evolution and of change of ourselves because I've actually left up all the old disordered disordered weight loss before and afters all of it because I I feel like this we have so much in the world that is so broken and wrong and disordered in so many ways and we're so cut and dry that there's no possibility for change and sometimes I'm like everybody can change anybody can be different. And if we have the ability to see the evolution of somebody, I'm excited that 
that would maybe help somebody, even if they, even if they spent the time and they scrolled all the way back, they'll probably read some horrific captions, some really cringy stuff, some bad writing. And that's awesome because then you can also fast forward to where I am now, see how I've changed. You can go see the images where I edit myself, even though unfortunately they get thrown back at me now as if I'm still doing it. There is, it's so important for me to, uh, to showcase that people can change. I think that's my hope for humanity is that we all have opportunity to change and evolve and learn. And so I have left off all those things, even though they make me cringe. They also make me so proud because it shows how much work I actually put into bettering myself and not just for the optics Mm -hmm. of it, but truly being a better person. There's a lot of things that people will never know that go on behind the scenes, like that internal work that we do and that community work that is also, I think, very important. But I, I do think it's good to see this like hypocritical version of myself that really thought they had it all right and then be able to fast forward to now and be like, actually, there's a lot that I did wrong. And I should never have said that. And I'm so glad that I get to sort of live out loud um, of being a different person. And I think with anything, when we're starting, you have to sort of get it wrong on the path to getting it right. Failure is like sort of the necessary steps in the path. It's it's not perfect. And it's not without flaws. So I'm even if it's embarrassing and cringy, I'm grateful that people can go back and see exactly what I mean when I say this has been a huge evolution and major change and go back and read and see who I was five, six years ago or even more and then look and compare it to who I am now. And that's that's the transformation that I really want to showcase. It's no longer about how much weight I lost on the scale or how much smaller the number was on my pants size. It's, it's how much more I'm showing up in my life and fighting through really uncomfortable feelings and going through a lot of change again, as we always are, I feel, um, and continuing to create and level up and be better and better version of myself each and every year. I think that's it's beautiful to like watch that evolution and to go back. And I love doing it for other people. And I always find for myself, I'm like, oh, it's cringe. But you're right in that, you know, sometimes you have to work through work through those things. And it is really important to be able to like watch that transformation and those things. Um, One of the things you had mentioned that I wanted to touch on is that you had said, you know, after your divorce, you moved back in with family. And this was a similar situation Mm -hmm. for me after I had Cassius. um, I had, I really didn't have another choice. um, So I moved back in with family. And I think it's one of those things that like we don't really talk about. And I know I personally felt so much shame around it. And I felt Mm -hmm. like it was like Mm -hmm. this moral failing almost. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're one of those people that we had these conversations and you really helped me work through it. Can you share a little bit more about kind of your perspective on that? Yeah. And it's something that I've really been cognizant about over the last, like, as I've told my story so many times, I've always been like, what a humbling experience to move in with your parents at 30 with three kids. But also I have to really look at the truth of it. It was also one of the more beautiful times of my life. It was actually full of a lot of joy and support and we had fun. It was amazing. It it allowed me financial stability. It allowed me, you know, to be able to work those two jobs, to pay for my lawyer bills, to pay for saving up to put a down payment somewhere else. It allowed me a lot of 
good, good, good times. And I think that I need to talk more about the joy of moving home and not so much how humbling it was to my ego because it was both. Mm -hmm. Two things can be true at once. It was very humbling to go from, you know, this picture perfect cookie cutter family to living at my parents' house. That was a very humbling experience for me, especially as somebody who optically wanted to look perfect. So Mm -hmm. that was true. But reflectively, I look back and I go, oh my God, what I like, (laughs) I'm very happily married now, but what I wouldn't give to go back and live at Nana and Papa's, my God, we had the best (laughs) time. They were so amazing. We had like, I, I, the home was full of laughter and we had so many great memories and my kids to this day, when we talk about like what their favorite house to live in, they will either say the house we're in now, or they will say Nana's house. Cause, and my son, one time he was like, I would rather go and spend a week at Nana's house than I would to spend a week at Disney. First, I was a little offended. Second, I was like, you have that place and you have that home and you have that like anchored spot that means so much to each each one of us like I mean I grew up there and my sister grew up there and then our kids have all had formidable times now at my parents house and we gather there still Mm -hmm. and it's like this really safe space and so I feel like a lot of us get so caught up in big life changes and big life decisions. I'm sure you did when it came to having Cassius and the decision to be a single mom, decision to have him also came with, I'm going to have to lose these parts of me. For me, it was like leaving that marriage was going to mean losing my house, losing the place that I did all my creatives, lose my independence, lose all that. And I didn't do enough to focus on how much I gained and how positive an experience it was. it I didn't spend enough time there. And so I really talk about it now because I don't want ever anybody getting stuck in a situation or stuck in a line of thought because their ego is in the way of joy. Their ego is in the way of support. Their ego is in the way of going to where they need to go to get on their feet again. And so I'm very proud of that time. I do feel like I probably could have stayed a little bit longer there. I think I was so rushed to feel good and on my own feet, especially as I felt Mm -hmm. my relationship progressing. I still had never lived independent from anybody. I went from my parents' house to being in a marriage. I didn't want to go from my parents' house into a marriage again. I wanted to have that little bit of time. And I think that that was important. However, I do feel like I could have spent more time there. I I don't think that I needed to rush out of being at my parents' house because it actually was a very very, very supportive time. I would give anything to make my parents come. Actually, there was later on, they ended up living with us for about four months. And I was like, never leave me. Like, don't. I love it. I love <laughs> I, I love being with my family. I love having that sort of system in place. And I wish there was more positive stories and more positive talks about living with your parents because we're in a day and age where the financial ability to enter the market is very, very difficult. And a lot of people are making the choice to live with their parents. And I don't think that ego and shame should be a part of that conversation. I think it should be admired. I think it should be, uh, I think it should be uh, validated and I think it should be celebrated. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I think that really he- heavily. Actually, I think the whole conversation that we've had thus far really brings on to the duality of the word and, you know, yes. you can look back at your past and cringe and you can be thankful for the journey that you've had. You mm-hmm. can move in with family, be humbled and also find so much joy and comfort there. Um, and I think yeah. one of the things that you had mentioned is like it really shouldn't be something that we feel so much shame in because you're putting yourself into a better situation. You're giving your kids yes. a better ability you're setting yourself up for success and why does that always become so hard for us why is that something that we're always so resistant towards right um and so what did it look like let's talk like logistics when it comes to like dating and things like that right it gets a little tricky Mm. you're like I'm I'm grown I'm living with family I've got kids I hear you on all of this um what does that look like So I did a couple dates with somebody else before I met Shane. I was dating somebody. My parents still don't know. Sorry, mom and dad, if you listen, (laughs) but not because I was so ashamed. Honestly, it was like living with my parents. It was like, I don't know. Like I Mm -hmm. I felt like I was going to be judged. And so I just, it was like easier for me to just, you know, hang out. To be honest, I didn't ever like leave and go on dates. The reality of my life was I was working two jobs and anybody who wanted to date me had to show up to my work. Basically, that's what happened. And so I very much had, you know, a few dates there. Everyone I met was at work. I was serving at a, a the keg, which is a high-end steakhouse. And so it was easy to find good-looking, well-dressed men. And I remember just, like, having a few instances there. And then when I was also working this office job, which is where I met Shane, and he was going through a breakup And my friend Ariana was going through a breakup and she also worked at the keg. And so the three of us would just hang out because it was really hard to like find those people. So it was easy for me to tell my parents, like we're just, you know, having dinner after work or things like that. The kids are already like far asleep and there was no difference in, in care access to that. So, um, it was very much anybody who wanted to date me because while I did talk to a few other guys and stuff, it ultimately wasn't until there was somebody who was willing to meet me where I was at that I actually did start dating. So I was living with my parents at that point. I think I left and moved in with them in November of 2015. And we started dating around the summer, fall of 2016. So it was like somewhat later and it was still, we were in group settings and casual settings. My parents ended up going away to Singapore for a few months. And that sort of allowed me a little bit more freedom and a lot more restrictions. No more childcare. I, it was just me. Mm-hmm. And I ended up quitting my serving job. So it was, it was a lot less of that. And I remember Shane would like come to my parents' house and like cook me dinner and try and just like meet me where I was at because there, there was no other way to date me. Like he would, I remember he was like, at one point he was like, I don't know how, I need to order less because I'm coming to your work just to see you. And I'm spending like on like a plate of food, like two times, two, three times a week. Like it is not a long-term sustainable thing. Like he was doing a lot to show up, but I, now I look back at it and I'm like, if he wanted to, he would. And like, he figured out a way to see me and we figured out a way to see each other that was still respectful of boundaries of, I I never want to over ask of my parents. And, and because they do so much for us, I I just never want to like get to the point where they resent me for anything. So I just never want, I would never ask them for babysitting or anything like that. But at one point they were gone to Singapore and Shane and I were newly dating and he wanted me to come home and meet his family and go to this like family wedding. 
And so my aunt came down and stayed with the kids for a weekend. And what's so special about that is she didn't have grandkids at the time, but she got to know my kids in a new way. And they had this like really Mm. fun weekend with like great auntie lore. They called her granty lore. And I just, I had to get rid of a lot of the guilt of like having support systems to allow me to evolve my life forward and instead just receive it. Even when it came down to, I mean, realistically, the financial logistics of being able to um, buy back my old house that I shared with my ex-husband, it was by my grandfather co-signing it. My grandfather was like, I know you can do this. You're working so hard. I'm not worried. I'm, I'm happy to put my name on this to get you to where you need to be. Like nothing's gonna, I don't even remember what he said, but like, I think about it all the time. Cause I'm like, this is a man that had, he gets no benefit from it. He has to put his name and his like financial well being on the line, but he was like, it, nothing's going to get you down. Like we're going to do this. And I kept that house and, and we got to live in a home again. And it, it was by like all these individual people allowing me to to grow in my life and to grow away from what was a really traumatic time, right? A really traumatic scenario. My parents, even though I hid dating from them for a really long time and to this day, apparently, but when I was dating Shane, it was, <laughs> it was, it was good because he really just came to the house and we were all hanging out together. My dad and him get along really well. So they, we just sort of just collectively hung out. It was no different than any other time. And when my ex had the kids, then I was able to, you know, balance that. That was the one benefit I will say is like, I am co-parenting. So I did have like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday nights available if I wasn't working to sort of go on dates and stuff as well without childcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shane is one of my favorite people. He cracks me up and he always shows funny. funky magic tricks that I'm like, I, yep. I don't understand how this works. Um, <laughs> but I love I love like the wholesome beginnings that really come with this. I think it's one of those things that like when you're bringing someone into your community and your village, you really want them to, like you said, if they want to, they will. Um, Mm -hmm. But you don't always want to have to like ask or outline, you know, you just want them to show you. Um, Yeah. And, you know, him having the ability to do that and to bring that into your life is something that like I love witnessing and watching. Mm -hmm. Um, And what does that look like in terms of like becoming family with him? So one thing that to know about Shane is he will read up on everything. So here I was casually dating and just like, la-di-da, like we're dating, whatever. I never thought about when should the kids meet him? Because they already had met him. We were friends for a while. We were doing this like group hangouts. Me and Ariana would hang out with the kids. He would come and meet us for bowling. The first time they met him, they were like, we love Shane. Like they were, they loved him because he spent $2 on Mm -hmm. a claw machine and that just changed their life apparently. (laughs) And so he very much, yeah, exactly. So he's one of those people that really likes to read and study up on situations. And he knew the impact of, um, long, like really like secondary relationships. Basically he had no tie in with them. Should we break up? There was like, that was, that was the end, right? He would potentially not ever see them again where when parents get divorced or split, then they, both kids have usually, typically, still have the opportunity to see both parents. So he took that very, very seriously. And he was like, I want to have individual relationships with each kid. So he would take them on one-on-one dates. He got to know them on his own way. And then he um, 
he basically at one point during the relationship. And I think as it was interesting, cause it was at a time that I was internally feeling it a little bit, like what happens if this doesn't work out? And like the pressure of, if I'm not, if I'm not happy in this relationship and I do want to end it, which I wasn't thinking that at the time, but it was just like this almost caged feeling where I didn't want to, mm-hmm. I didn't want to be stuck in a relationship because of the kids. I didn't want to be in a place of like, oh my God, I can't end this because my kids love him too much. What if it's not working? And I was having these like questions and and thoughts when we were already in the relationship. And I remember one day, and I've shared this before, but it's one of my favorite moments in time that he, um, I was walking up the stairs to say goodnight to them. And he stopped me and he was like, I love them, you know? And I was like, what? And he's like, I love, I love those kids. And if anything ever happens to us, I want to still be in their life if you'll allow me. And that really just like every exhale, my whole body that I didn't realize I'd been holding in because you, I'd already uprooted my kids. I didn't want to go through this again. I didn't want to, I didn't want to change anything in their world. I was trying so hard to protect them from everything. And so while this like good thing was going on in this good relationship and this nourishing one and this healthy thing for all of us was happening, there was this internal part of me that was like, oh my God, what if? And then what I'm going to have to be this person again. And so I, that moment really, really helped. And anybody who's entering into like a step parent scenario, there's like key things that I would always say that made a huge difference. One that he was interested in getting to know them, not just getting to know me and them be in the background Two that we did things that were a common goal experiences like bowling or hangouts and things like that. Very low pressure. So they weren't like, come meet the boyfriend at a dinner. <laughs> if we, we were already hanging yeah. out. So it was a very like, and there was other guys in, in that like guy friends and stuff that I, they'd known. So it wasn't like this weird thing. And the other one is like, really evaluate what you want long-term and like really having those conversations. I didn't realize how much it meant to me that he was going to be there no matter what, if, if I chose for it. And I remember like certain key things, like even when the kids would fall and he'd come in with a bandage, everything in me wanted to be the person that rushed in and like was mom and allowing like sort of I know what it's like to be around like your son. And if something happened to him, of course I would want to help him, but I also would want to take a step back and let mom do the thing. But when you're, Mm -hmm. you know, creating new relationships here, part of my job was actually to step back and let them and not try and be in control of everything. Because when Bowdoin was little at the time, I remember he had a, he was bawling his eyes out in public. And when you're already embarrassed about the situation going on, you're doubly embarrassed when the person you really like is sitting right next to you and is equally embarrassed. And you don't really know how to navigate those things. So when they form relationships on their own with the kid, then that really helped me sort of feel like I I didn't have to do it all, be the perfect parent, do all of this stuff and date this guy. We were collectively dating. We were all together in the scenario. There are so many different ways that people could go about it. I know people take sometimes years before introducing their kids, or it can be so hard to know what the right thing is. And when I know you've been through it, it's there. I don't think there mm-hmm. is one right path. I know that was what was right for us worked out, but I don't, I don't believe anymore in there being like one singular right way to do anything because how can we, how can we encapsulate 
human experiences that way. I'm really grateful that even if that had the relationship ended, that they would have looked at that chapter of their life as just another person who loved on them. Another person who came into our world and cared and spent $2 on the claw machine. Let that be the memories. Let that be the thing that lives in their body is that they were loved through seasons. And so there's a lot of like, you don't get to date casually anymore. Everything is layered. Everything is what about the kids? Everything is childcare and all that stuff. But I also kind of like to, to your point of like the, and that's also a really beautiful thing when you think outside of yourself and not just what you like and what you're willing to bend your life for. But also when you bring kids into it, it really does get you thinking in a very different way in a way that I wish I had thought, dating in all my years before me. Like it really did make me a much more Mm. intentional person. I I didn't want to change who I was. I didn't have the ability. I didn't have the, um, the capacity to change who I was for a person because I already was at capacity raising these three kids and living at my parents' house. So there had to be more, it had to be, it had to be beneficial to all of us. Yeah. And I think one of the key things there is like the intentionality behind it, because I was in a relationship kind of long term. I, I never know, like the mm-hmm. definition of long term, really. I know. Um, if it's long for you, it's I long. Had Cassius, right. It was yeah. long for me. Um, it was after I had Cassius and we met when he was like maybe two months old. He was so little. Um, yeah. And, you know, we dated for a year and a bit. Um, and near the end of that you know, there came up, you know, this topic that I was like, I can't ignore this because I have my son. You know, if mm-hmm, it was just me, mm-hmm. there was a chance that I would have just kind of looked past him and been like, you know, what, I love him. We're planning a future together. Mm-hmm, I'm just going to mm-hmm. continue this anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But looking at it, I'm like, this person is also raising my son at the time. He was very much helping, like co-parent was very involved, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it came to bring an extra layer of responsibility but also like not a not a bad thing because not a bad thing. I would have just kind of sat with that anyway mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and for people that haven't listened to like the first season of the podcast I was partially adopted so that means um you know born and raised with my mom and then my dad adopted me when I was three mm-hmm. I lost my biological father in 2007 to homicide and so I never really had a close relationship with him Mm -hmm. and so for me that chosen love of my Mm -hmm. dad choosing to adopt me and making that conscious choice Mm -hmm. means so many things and that's always something that when I see it I'm so drawn to I'm like tell me all the details I want to know like this is my wholesome moment Um, because for him he adopted me before they got married so yeah I always joke with him and I'm like regardless of how that ended up you were stuck with me so like you can't yeah. you can't complain <laughs> anytime you yeah. want to complain I'm like you picked yeah. this right yes. um but I think there's something so beautiful about you know choosing and being chosen and even that mm-hmm. person that I co-parented with for a year um I remember you telling me you know I was talking to you about different things and like was I feeling guilty about that and like Cassius having been so involved in the relationship and things like Mm -hmm. that and you really just reminded like that's another person to like love and be there for him um and so we even remained friends for a few months afterwards and like he still visited with Cassius he still Mm -hmm. called him he checks on him every so often to this day um Mm -hmm. and you know having that extra layer of love for those kids Mm -hmm. is never something never something bad I think it's more just how 
parents choose to approach it because so many people are like cut and dry, either you're fully involved or you're not at all. And I understand that, but also having the component of you're a friend, you're part of their community, you're someone they can lean on and look Mm -hmm. forward to seeing and love um, is something beautiful as well. Yeah, like take for instance, and and I think a lot of it comes down to the context and how we talk about it to our kids, right? So take for instance, a nanny. Our nanny is like, I mean, she loves Lemmy as her own. However, later on in life, there's going to be probably a time, God forbid, I don't know for sure, but there's going to be a time that she's not going to be as involved in her life, right? She already isn't as much. So, and what, what, what is the story I will tell my daughter that this person upped and left one day and didn't care anymore or that she came for a season? I'm going to cry. To love her, she was there to love and to serve in her life, and she will always be such an important part of her story because of that. We all like grew up in daycares or had somebody in our life that just was that person, and that doesn't mean forever, but love even in a short amount of time or care and tenderness and like hanging out with somebody. These are all really, really great things. I think the pressure to have this like long-term perfect story like we that doesn't exist and I think it comes down to the way that we talk about it and the way that we celebrate these things had my relationship not worked out I would still I would hope that we would talk about Shane in the way of like remember when we got to do these things remember when he did this with us like it was only a positive. And so I think anybody who chooses to be in your children's life and to love on them, no matter how long or short of a time, should be read as a very positive, lovely experience, no matter how it ends. And so I think that that's like the big, important storyline. My mom did childcare for 25 years. She's still involved in so many of those kids' lives. And the relationship is not the same. But she's still a fond memory of some of these, some of these kids are like grown up and have families of their own. And they'll still message me being like, I remember when your mom did this for us, the things that we do for children when they're growing, especially as they're going through things, it's not all on the mom. It is collectively like they say about like a village, but what does it mean to be a village? I, you know, I said to my nephews this week, they were spending the night over. And I said, if you ever like need to like want to spend some time in the city or want like a couple nights away, like come over anytime. I'll say, that to the neighbor's kids. If you ever want to have friends over to like swim in the pool, let me know. I'd love to have you over. Becky, for instance, is my like uh, emergency contact for my kids. Should I not be able to come to the phone? She is like their dad. And then she's the next person in line. Like there is your mm-hmm. community and how you show up for each other and how you love on these kids is so much more than just your relationship status. And I think that that's what I sort of have always thought and took away because anybody who chooses to love you through any amount of time, I can only hope goes into like a chapter book of, of love and like the story that we share with them of those people, which I hope brings a lot of relief to anybody who's had, you know, secondary relationships and as a single parent, and it's not worked out. It's just to remember that that was just another person that came into their world that loved on them for however amount of time. And even if it didn't work out in the end, it was mm-hmm. overall can still be a very positive story that we tell that doesn't like damage your children for the rest of the time. Even if that's like what right? scared Shane into being more intentional. I do think that like it is a very it can be a very positive thing if we if we t- retell the story that way. Mm-hmm. And comparing it to like childcare providers is is so powerful because yeah, Cassius spends 
the most of his time right now with childcare. And mm-hmm. when summer comes, he has to switch to a new, like we call it school, but he has to switch to a new Montessori. Um, and it won't be like, oh, because grandma currently runs his current daycare. Uh, but it won't be like, oh, grandma, you know, doesn't love you, doesn't want to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, remember mm-hmm. how much fun you had with grandma? Yeah, you're yes. going to have the same thing at your new school. And then when September comes and you're back with grandma, it's not anything bad against that new school. Mm-hmm. It's this is a season that was over and like let's rejoice and like chat about all the things that you loved about it yeah that's exactly it right and and just really kids kids are very good with change and also very resistant to it at the same time so it is sort of in the stories that we tell and how we show up for them and and understanding even our own role as other people come into the relationships with your children especially I mean my ex-husband is now married again I'm obviously married again we now have four parents raising these children collectively and like many sets of grandparents and great grandparents. There's a lot more people involved. And we only ever talk about that as like a benefit. We only ever talk about like mm-hmm. the look how many people are here for you guys and look how many people are willing to show up and love you and do things for you and cook you meals and drive you places and and all of those things. But ultimately also really I don't know where I was going with this, but I yeah, I just I just think like just positively spinning it as much as possible and really reminding them of like the people who love them in their life and in their story. Mm-hmm. Is that something that I know that you've shared um, about, you know, Shane's Day for Father's Day and things like that. Is that mm-hmm. something that you actively like share about and talk to your kids about while you're talking about kind of this community and this village that we have? First of all, I remember what I was going to say, but it's the relationship with our children is not on time spent, but by relationship built. So your relationship Mm. is never threatened. Even if your kid's in childcare and sees childcare more than they see you, that doesn't, that doesn't replace you. And I think that that's an important thing. Um, But for your question, I actually truly let them lead it. I never wanted to tell them what to call Shane, who he was, anything like that. They jokingly for a season called him stepfather Shane when we first got married. Um, they've always just called him Shane when we had the first Father's Day that we were seriously dating or potentially engaged. Um, he, they were the ones that, you know, at school were like, oh, I actually have like another person. And that's when they wrote on the card, like happy Shane's day. And we're really intentional about that. Shane never got to, got to have a kid that was a toddler. He met them when they were seven or five seven and nine. So they were Mm -hmm. already school aged and things like that. So they really had the ability to define what it looked like. They don't call him dad. They call him Shane and they will tell people that that's their stepdad. And they also have a really great relationship with them on their own. And I mean, it's been important to have that. And they also have the same frustrations that they would have with any other parent. Sometimes I still get in my head, like when they're, when there's like discord or like there is a disagreement between two of them over something silly usually it's leaving stuff out. Um, I try and remember like, this isn't my boyfriend and that I have to mitigate the situation. This is somebody who's been in their life for like a very long time now, like eight years 
who has been a parental role. And it's no different than when I have discord or frustrations with my kids. It doesn't mean catastrophic stuff. It doesn't, because I think it's very easy to get in your head that like, that's somehow not the real relationship and that's not their real dad. Mm. So therefore, you know, anything, any discord that happens, I suddenly have to be the mediator between it. No, it's never, that's never been real or true. Every single time it's no different than any other parental, you know, conversation. I, I feel like it must be hard um, for my ex's new wife because she came in when they were teenagers. That's a whole other layer. That's but a at different the same ball time, game. It's a different ball game. But at the same time, they have relationship with her. They We only ever say good, positive things. They'll be like, oh man, she made the best like pasta this week. And I was like, oh my gosh. And they're like, they she showed me how to make it. Let me, like, I'm going to make it. I'll show you. And I'm like, this person, like, how could this be a threat to me in any sense of the word? This person loves my kids enough to teach them cooking this thing. And now they're coming home and they feel safe enough to tell me about that and share this recipe mm-hmm. with me. I, I feel really good, even though my ex and I don't have like, our, because we're co-parenting with older kids, we're not like sitting side by side at soccer games. We're, we're exchanging right. the kids back and forth. We're communicating in a very different way and communicating with the kids more importantly, but we're creating a space that they feel good to have four different parents and to talk about it and to not feel that weight of so-and-so can't hear about this or feel that, or I can't talk about, you know, my stepmom or I can't talk about my stepdad. Like we really, I, I've really tried to be very intentional about honoring those roles as very, very important parental roles and to not make myself feel like it's me and my kids. And then Shane has his one kid. We have to really be collective that like that relationship that he has with his biological child is the same value and quality and love that he does with the ones who are not. Mm -hmm. And that's the same for like me and my siblings, right? Um, We all biologically have different dads, but my younger brother, um, his dad is the one that adopted us. And so, Mm -hmm. but there's no, there's no quality difference there in those relationships. Yeah, Um, Yeah, exactly. You know, run to him the same. So I think that's beautiful. Um, Yeah. Between you know, the chosen love aspect between living back at home, the duality of the word and all of that. What is one thing that you think everyone in the world, no pressure, uh, should hear? I think that it's okay to, to figure out what's right for you. I think I've really been focusing on that lately. It's very easy for us to sit and have conversations about our singular experiences and talk about what worked and what didn't and and what felt right and what didn't. And the reality is you're an expert of your own world. You're an expert of your own experience. You're the one who knows you best. You're the one who knows your kids best. You're the ones that, ones that know your family best. It's not the same scenario for everyone. So when we talk about all these experiences and we talk about, you know, the paths that were right for us, it ultimately comes down to navigating the right path for you and how different they might be and that they are both, bring that word and again, they're both valid, right? Like your story and my story, we have very different starter packs to why we moved home. And we also have a lot of these intersections of the same. We also, you had a relationship that didn't work out and that, you know, I had one that did and we both figured out what the best thing was. And ultimately we don't get to know 
what the perfect path is. We only get to live out and we have to make decisions. We have to make really tough ones at times and with a lot of unknowns. And we have to really be confident in if I'm bettering myself as a person, if I care about things in in the big picture, if I'm not taking this stuff all lightly all the time, and I really want to create a positive experience no matter what, that really comes down to the narratives that we tell ourselves and allowing ourselves to make decisions that are right for us. Even if they're right for a week, you have to make the call about what feels best for you, not what was best for anybody else, because only we know and only we are an expert about our own lives and our own experiences. So I think there's a lot of pressure to like, do what's psychologically the best and what is like been, uh, you know, studies have shown is the best. And I mean, we can't even buy a toothpaste without it saying what was most recommended by a dentist. We have so much expert advice and it's coming to us so, so, so fast, but we're the expert of our own world and of our own life. And we also have to be able to activate decision-making within all the unknowns and with all the expert advice out there and ultimately just lead in a way that, um, creates a really a legacy of love and a legacy of chosen love and of, you know, a really positive overall experience. And I think that like I was talking earlier about the way that we shape things and the way that I used to be ashamed of living with my parents. And now I look at it and I'm so proud of it. That is a, nothing is different. I still moved in with my parents with three kids. Nothing about that story is different except for the way I tell it now, the way that I approach it instead of being filled with shame and with being humbled and, you know, my pride at the doorstep. Instead, it's like, this was the best possible thing that could have happened. And it's so full of love and community and opportunity the scenario didn't change just the way I tell it does. And I, and my perspective of it does. And I think that that's what I mean when I say that we can, we can figure out what's right for us and figure out the nuances and that word and of two different things being true at once and figuring out the, how to thread that needle. This is life. I we're humans. There's no perfect path. You could even have the most perfect scenario of life and something could come at you sideways and it changes everything. So we Mm -hmm. have to just be ready to make decisions and make those choices along the way. Mm -hmm. I was actually recently talking to someone else about we were talking about like health and what that looks like and, Mm -hmm. you know, how we are all the experts of our own bodies because what someone's doing might not translate to the exact same results. Um, So I think it's really important to like take that same perspective and apply it everywhere else as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. What would you say this chapter of your life would be titled? (laughs) Uh, chaos? Uh, no, I don't know. I think this one is, <laughs> it is chaos, but it's also so beautiful because it is the culmination of the choices, right? You get to finally sit and be witness to why. It is very hard to uproot. I, I made this caption on a post and so many people were like, what does this mean? <laughs> because I said, you don't blow up yeah. your life to not sit down and look and see right. what it meant. And what I meant is, I made a very big decision almost, uh, I guess, seven years ago. I made a very, seven, eight years ago, I don't even know, eight years ago almost, um, to leave an 11-year marriage and to move in with my parents. I blew up my entire world and everything I knew for something unknown. Mm -hmm. 
So you don't sit in a life now with the career I have, the opportunities I have, the family that I have, the spouse that I have, the friends that I have, and not sit and go, my God, that all came from one big catastrophic in some ways decision that I had no idea how it was going to work out. And I'm so proud of that. And I think we need to, I, I think I'm in a very reflective state because it's so easy to just let all of this great stuff pass us by. We're very used to scrolling, double tapping, move on. But these are really big moments of life and really big triumphs of, of my own human experience to sit where I am today and be able to look back and go, you were the woman who Googled how to code a blog that would one day be a, uh, you know, a prominent media brand. You were the woman who walked away from an 11 year marriage to find the love of your life and to start a family together that is rooted in choice and love. And you are the woman that, you know, uprooted herself and her family to live with her parents, to get back on her own feet by the help of her grandfather and to now live in a beautiful home with her, with her family. We, you don't make those, it's so easy for us to tell the story looking backwards, but unless you actually sit and allow yourself to digest what it took, you've done it. Like you, when I first met you, you were in a very different life and then you got pregnant and you made a lot of big life decisions that changed the course of your life. And if you don't sit and go, wow, how amazing then what is it all for? Then we're just in this rat race against each other, trying to do what's best, trying to look best. And we don't really get to digest the fact that you are where you are with the sun as beautiful as he is with your family, with your beautiful home that you live in with your family. And your son is having an amazing childhood experience. That was the, that is the result of your decisions and your choice to change the course. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of us don't take enough time to to sit and recognize the results of those really really tough choices that we make and how big and grand they are on the path of choosing what was right for us which was not always the quote unquote right path yeah it's like you're trying to make me cry today okay i'm sorry <laughs> but it's true it is it is um and that's something that i've been reflecting on so much lately um it's just kind of like look where that all brought us right mm-hmm. and look what exactly. look what we've made look what we've made um and look at like the quality of men that you now seek because it's no longer about you while they are far so and few between true. as we are learning yes. It is still, we are learning, but it is, I mean, it's so great to see that you're good on your own. Anybody who comes Mm -hmm. into the picture is only in benefit of that. I was somebody who never thought I would get married again. I had no intention of bringing somebody else into our world. So only could be somebody who came and added so much quality to the experience that they should be so lucky to be a part of. And that's what I see with you. You have a very high quality experience, a very high quality life. It's going to take somebody coming in and adding to that experience Mm -hmm. in order to be worth sticking around. Yeah. You got to match the energy and then bring it up a little bit. Got to match the energy. Women are, I just read an article the other day that more and more women are choosing to uh, co-parent together in singular homes than they are to get re like there's like this whole movement of women being yeah. like you know what we don't want to do get married again so instead let's community raise our children and they're like buying homes together and stuff the world is changing and we're 
we're way more about community and village than individual units. And I think that that's very important. And it's also why I love when my friends choose to be child free. Cause I'm like, guess who loves to hang out with my kids? <laughs> it's always that. Yes. They're all my, this is amazing. Like you like having friends that don't have kids, you're not in the same uh, ballpark with you anymore in terms of like lifestyle. They're also amazing. Like that's why it's so cool that our individual choices mm-hmm. can actually intersect in really amazing ways. You and I have toddlers like the same age, so it works. But I also have friends that like remember my kids' birthdays more than anybody who has their own kids because they're like, we're child free. Do you know what that means? I have so much time for your kids. And I love that. I love anybody yes. who's like here to join into the party and join into the mix. So we're all raising these children together and it takes the pressure off of these individual women especially to sort of carry mm-hmm. this big load of what it is to have a, a child in this world we should be collectively doing it we should be joining forces and and doing that as much as possible it doesn't always have to be with a partner yeah no i love that uh, so if you see me um buying a home with other single moms and yeah, raising our I kids together it. just know imagine <laughs> i would love that <laughs> someone yeah. dm me um but uh, but seriously, thank you so, so much for coming on today. Is there anything that you're currently working on that you want to share or raise any awareness towards? I mean, I can shamelessly plug that I have something really cool coming with NYX next month. Um, I'm so excited. I'm very excited for that, actually. It's something I've been, like, gunning for for years. So I know a lot of times we see things happen on social media and we're like, oh, this is years in the making. But, like, legitimately, like some of these things are this really is years, in, years the in the making. And, and it's very fun. So, no, I, I mean, it's always... I always appreciate anybody who makes the choice to follow along and to be a part of this experience, especially because I'm not in this state of like uh, a lot of change. I've really settled into a life now and I've really settled into a lot of the things that I've talked about. And so it's not... It's not as clickbaity as it maybe once was. And now it's it's very much just joining in for the story and the life that we've built. And so I always appreciate anybody who comes for that because I think it's um I hope it I hope it's inspiring and I hope it's reflective and it's full of thought starters and good conversations and some fun along the way. And so yeah, that's that's basically it. Amazing. I'll link um all of your socials and your blog below if anyone wants to follow you and join along because I can rest assured it is all of those things. Um, but I appreciate you so much. Thank you for joining today. And uh, I hope you have the best week ever. Yeah, thanks. You too. This was lovely. Thanks so much for having me on. 